Ahoy there, and welcome to Sweet Child of 1899. I'm your captain, Steve Barnes, my first mate, Nate. I had to send him to the, uh, what do you call it, the, the brig, the, the, the med bay. Infirmary. The, what, the infirmary of the boat. <laughs> so, you know, nurse off a sore throat, poor guy. But luckily, my second mate is here to take in his shoes. Let me bring her in. You already know her from being the lead singer of Rebecca Crow. Here she is. She's Heather. Ahoy there. <laughs> Ahoy, matey. <laughs> We're on a boat, you know, 1899 boat. This is news to me that I'm like your second in command behind <laughs> Nate. So that's, that's fine, though. That's- okay, Nate, fast forward for a minute. Heather, you're absolutely my first mate. First love, first mate, first everything. Screw Nate, okay? (laughs) It's you. Okay, Nate, listen again now. Okay, we're back. Heather, thank you for uh, filling in for Nate today. Um, I'm happy to. I hope he feels better very soon. Yeah, same. I want to talk about our TV viewing habits because obviously we have both seen episode two of 1899 because we're getting ready to recap it right now, but... Um, what kind of viewing habits do you think you have compared to me? Uh, I would say that you definitely like to like slow roll a TV show. Like you, you watch it and then think about it and form theories. And I am the opposite. I want to sit down and take it all in at once. I do not like to have to wait for a weekly release. (laughs) I want the whole season right in front of me. And that is how I consumed 1899. (laughs) All in one day. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you're completely done with it. I'm not done with it because I am rewatching it with you at a much slower pace. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Thank you so much for doing that. (laughs) I, I loved it. And I, I enjoy rewatching it. We need to assure everyone that um, I've swore a vow last week, and so did Nate, that we haven't gotten any spoilers yet. Um, we haven't watched ahead. I haven't read anybody else's recaps or anything like that. Um, so please assure people that I'm telling the truth. Yes, he absolutely is. In fact, I've been very disappointed that Nate has not been able to podcast because I'm very anxious to watch the the next episode, but cannot do so until this is recorded. So Steve has been holding out, not moving forward. I, on the other hand, cannot promise spoilers because, like I said, I indulge in one sitting. So a lot of it runs together, and I have a hard time separating what happened in which episode because it's just one gigantic episode for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I assure your listeners that if I (laughs) say any spoilers, they will be edited. (laughs) Well, they won't be edited to my ears. I I have a strong feeling that... Uh, 75% of my listeners are just like you and they've already seen all of them and they're listening to this podcast either while they're rewatching it or they're listening to this podcast just vicariously so they can rewatch the show in their heads while they're driving or something like I do. So I have a strong feeling that, that Nate and myself are in a minority, but everybody's being very kind and not being spoilery, yourself included. (laughs) Spoilery. (laughs) 
And um, I'm going to bring up some theories and any theory I bring up, you just have to, you know, rub your chin and go, hmm, okay, great, Steve. Um, That's what I always do when you present. (laughs) I try to stay very tight lipped. Very seldom are we facing each other like eye to eye like we are right now, though. So, you know, I can probably like read some uh, (laughs) some clues. So don't give me any spoilery faces either. Okay, Uh, that is true. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't think about it that way that we can see each other right now. Yep. Well, hey, we got to get into it for everybody else. Two things I wanted to bring up ahead of time. Um, Have you heard anything about the uh, alleged plagiarism against 1899? I have not. Okay. There's a comic that came out called uh, Black Silence uh, by Mary Caglin back in 2016. And this comic, um, you know, triangles, uh, in particular, a black pyramid was predominantly featured. And there were several nationalities of people on a space shuttle, um, you know, traveling. And then weird stuff started happening. Not exactly like 1899, but... Just the general premise led people to like, you know, scream, not scream, whisper plagiarism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's debunked. I mean, I've looked through the comic myself, which looks interesting in its own right. It's only it's a real short story. So it's really easy to read through and it's readily available online now at this point. But yeah, I just wanted to address that. And I don't think there's any credence to any plagiarism. It does sound as though there are some um, glaring similarities, though. Right, but but it was also stated that um, those similarities can also be found in H.P. Lovecraft, who, of course, was writing stuff a century ago. So these are just common themes that the things that were similar are just basic tropes of any science fiction or fantasy, Um, just kind of too general. It's like, you know, I I have a movie about like a husband and wife who are fighting and they get a divorce and then somebody else makes a movie about that exact same thing. They're going to be completely different movies, but they'll have, you know, the same general idea. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, And don't take that divorce thing like seriously. I was just, (laughs) that was a weird thing to bring up. Um, (laughs) So this solidifies that that is not happening. Because me and Nate have been over the moon about this jacket, this jacket of Ike Larson. And I have some special news for everyone. (laughs) Last week, um, Nate and I both supposited, thanks to Nate's roommate, that, you know, we probably couldn't pull off this jacket. You know, this guy's a, a star. You know, this guy's been in dark. He's been in 1899. He's a good looking guy. Very loving person named Heather said, I could indeed pull off the Ike Larson jacket. She said my gray beard and my wrinkles. And she said I could pull, I could pull off that jacket. That jacket is for sale for $138 at williamjacket.com. So Wait, make sure to like take right notes. <laughs> I'm trying. Williamjacket.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. No, there won't. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that that made my day, Heather. I was going to brag to Nate about that, but I just have to tell you, thank you. Aw, you look good in a in a nice tall, stiff collar, a nice pea coat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's better than an aqua hoodie. You don't like my uh, my normal hoodies I wear. A nice cloaky trench. 
That thing was bad. But yeah, I think you look like a sailor. <laughs> Huge difference between episode one and episode two is, in fact, that very same jacket that we're talking about. In episode one, that jacket was featured prominently, and our captain was stoic, and he stuck to his guns. I'm the captain now. He was telling everybody what to do. This episode, there's no jacket. And his attitude and his whole demeanor has completely shifted. Uh, do you remember this first scene, um, Heather, that we start the show with when Ike wakes up from his dream? I'll recap it then since I get silence from you. That's no uh, problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, which dream? <laughs> the very first one that opens our show. Our show opens with Ike. He wakes up in the forest and he's wakened from a dream. And he hears, and the, the subtitles say, an eerily jaunty German song. And he hears that as he's walking through the forest, and it's, he, he looks a little creeped out. Um, I didn't find this music eerie. It was just jaunty to me. Did you think it was um, creepy? I think, no, I didn't think it was creepy, but because they told me in the subtitles <laughs> that it was creepy... <laughs> I knew then that this was a creepy scene. Fair, sure. Well, he follows uh, the song to his home, and he looks and he sees his children in the window. Um, the house goes up in flames. He, of course, is flipping out, and he, we hear Mora's voice tell him to wake up. Last episode, we saw Mora wake up from a dream, and it was um, the guy who I think is her dad or maybe her psychiatrist tells her to wake up, Mora is here telling Ike to wake up. I wanted to mention, too, this episode is called The Boy, and I wanted to bring up a significant thing. We're getting ready to walk in on The Boy in a second here. Um, Nate's been calling him Zombie Boy, and I will adhere to that. As will I. Because Zombie Boy is, yeah, a good enough name for any at this point. And thank you. You might know his name because you've seen three through eight, but I have not. So right now, Zombie Boy the boy who lived. I like, I like calling him that. He's not Harry Potter, but you know, why not? He is the boy who lived. Yeah. He was locked inside that cabinet from the outside. So somebody locked him in there. So obviously he was a danger of some sort. That's something I kind of thought about between episodes one and two is I remembered that he was, you know, locked in that cabinet. Thank you for keeping your lips shut. I saw that. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> he wakes up from his dream, he's back in his cabin, he's got that ribbon in his hand that he found on the other ship, which we, we can assume now is, you know, his daughter's ribbon, I'm assuming is Nina's. He wakes up to a telegraph, and the telegraph just says two words, from the company, sink ship. And this secret organization that's in control of things, we don't know who they are at this point, they're just the company, which is pretty creepy that that's how they're being referred to as is the company um not only do they have this telegraph that says sink ship but those compasses are going all crazy yeah that's <laughs> wild yeah, stuff it definitely uh, you, reminds me yes. of things that like happen in like the bermuda triangle they say that the compasses go yeah. out of whack and you know and there are definitely triangular references being made so you know led to believe it's um like a Bermuda Triangle situation. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. So my show research, I looked up the coordinates for the Bermuda Triangle. Um, it's very far away 
from the coordinates of the Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> Bermuda Triangle is 25 north, 71 west. Prometheus is 34 north something, 32 west, something along those lines. I don't have it in front of me, That's, but it's it's just nowhere near it. impressing research that you looked that up. Oh, you you just wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing I thought about is we both read The Tommyknockers by Stephen King, and the same thing happens with those spaceships um, where the compasses don't work when you get nearby them. Again, with books, um, much like TV shows, I just consume it all in one sitting, and it all just runs together. <laughs> so the, the minute details... It's like in one ear and out the other. Um, right. So I do not That's remember okay. that aspect of Tommy Knockers. But I believe. Well, 10 of our listeners do, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. sure. More than that. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people retain what they read. I do not. <laughs> you do not. Um, the Bermuda Triangle, though, was the reason I had to look it up was because I saw that the newspaper that Maura keeps looking at. Um, has the Bermuda Triangle as one of the articles on the front. Um, so I thought the, the exact same thing. Coordinates don't match up. Then again, though, the Prometheus is not where it's supposed to be. It, it should have drifted the other way. That's from last episode. Uh, another thing, I wanted to mention something about the opening credits before we go on, because at this point, we're watching the opening credits, theoretically, in the recap. At the very end... They have the, I guess it's Mara's face, and then like the boat, like goes across her face. Um, You don't, I think you usually, (laughs) yeah, I was gonna say, I think I've seen the credits twice. (laughs) (laughs) I watch them every time. I I do remember the part that you are talking about. It's towards the end of the credits, and it's, I think, yellowish or orangish in color. Yeah, Orangish. yeah, mm-hmm. and the boat like sails across her pixelated face. Right. So I'm the one. I didn't. It made me think about um, Crestor's scar, but it kind of looks like a bullet at the same time. But it's a. Sh- it's clearly a ship. But I don't know. It caught my eye, and it made me want to bring it up and just think about it because maybe. What? what uh, so uh, what do you think it signifies mm-hmm. or could learn? Us either. Okay, this is something that you're doubly reminding me of Marshland Monster okay. right now. Because first <laughs> off, he doesn't watch any opening credits either. He just has no interest in watching opening. He's never seen the opening credits to Wheel of Time, even though we've watched those episodes twice yeah. over. He, um, I wanted to know his opinion of why I asked him to do this podcast today as well. And he tried to watch 1899 and didn't really enjoy it. And so I wanted to find out why. Um, so this ties into what you were saying, believe me. He says, it seems to, oh, we're mysterious and spooky. (laughs) Like all the flashes of things right away that will clearly get filled in episode by episode of what it all means. So he's kind of looking at it like, I don't, you know, I don't want to invest time because I know they're going to do their thing. And he went on to admit that he, um, he just wanted to watch Step by Step and laugh. He wasn't in the mood to watch 1899. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, I don't know if we're going to find out. 
this is terrible because I'm, I'm looking at your face and I can kind of tell that it doesn't mean anything at all. So I'm just going to drop it, <laughs> but maybe it'll come up in like season two or season three that Mara gets shot across the face or Mara and Crestor have some sort of connection. And that's why the scar is there. I don't know. I'm theorizing. Yeah. I'd love to do it. And you, you are very good at theorizing. <laughs> Okay, sleeping boy. We got Mara watching him while he's sleeping, and you know she's got all those answers and going through her head. She finds a wedding ring. She finds a golden wedding ring in his pocket. Thought that was weird. Um, as soon as she leaves the room, his like creepy eyes like snap open. Nice little creep scene for me. Uh, I was going to mention that there was one time that I was at a sleepover. This was teenage years. And a friend, Sandy, had a half pipe skate ramp in his backyard. Like a dozen of us like slept over Sandy's house. His parents were fine with it. Um, You know, teenage, debauchery, whatever. We were up all night. I woke up and when I opened my eyes, the first thing I saw was like Sandy, like two feet away from me, staring at me intently. And he says, you're lucky, Steve. I said, okay. And he says, you're lucky I didn't kill you in your sleep. <laughs> and just being just being a goof, just a funny way to wake me up. But it stuck with me all my life. And that's what it reminded me of when I saw Mara sitting there staring at the boy. Like if he had opened his eyes in that second and seen her like just standing there over him. <laughs> right. It's weird to watch somebody while they're sleeping. Sandy is weird. I think he's he probably knew that I was about to wake up and like did that, I guess. I don't know the I don't know the details behind it. I just know my perspective and it was weird. <laughs> I wanted to say Nate was saying last week that he found the little girl, the little Danish girl, blonde you know who I'm talking about, the little blonde haired Danish girl who was like missing part of this. She has a little doll she walks around with. He was saying she was creepy. This boy is creepy. She's not creepy. No. Anyways. Nate said that? Yeah. He said he, he, she, he, she reminded him of like um, Exorcist or Children of the Corn. Um, I didn't agree. Uh, I vehemently disagreed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Judge a book um, by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know where he got that cover from because I didn't get that vibe from... No, I mean, her vibe is awesome. Like, she seems like, yeah, like exactly. one of the most down-to-earth people there. Yes. Um, She's got her shit yeah. together. We'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so Olick gets questioned here. Um, he's down below with the guys, and they're talking about wolves. And I'm kind of believing these guys. One of them is like, maybe wolves ate everybody on the Prometheus, which, of course, on its face is silly. <clears throat> but the more you think about it, he says, maybe the boy's the wolf. Maybe it was one giant wolf. Maybe it's the boy. This guy actually says that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how the boy was on that ship for four months and he's not hungry now. Like he's offered like a Panera special with like the, the baguette and the apple and he, he's not hungry. He should be starving to death like our friend Jerome. Remember how hungry he was? That should be the little boy now, but he's no thanks and some delicious food. Right, so if he was a wolf, he'd be full from eating all the people. Yeah, and he's a zombie boy. That's what Nate says. Yeah. So I'm kind of with him he at this ate point. All the brains. <laughs> Let's see. Um, where are we at? 
I believe that, of course. The captain comes down. He wants to have a private word with Olick. Asks him about how much coal we have up there. And he's like, keep it to yourself. But I want to know how much coal we got. Then Captain heads over to Mora to inquire about the boy. At this point, it's clear that he's lost his cool and his jacket. He doesn't have either at this point. He's just, he's unhinged. And you know, like with Mara keeping you in check and Mara's like, hey, are you okay? You know you've got a big problem if it's Mara that's trying to keep you in check. He lost his cool and he lost his jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you. Um, He starts hearing that song again. He's freaking Mara out. We cut down immediately, though, to Anchor, um, Anchor, the fa- the Danish father of Crester and Tovi. He's down there with his Danish crew, and he's praying. He has a prayer that he's doing, um, praying against the darkness. And his prayer is um, to protect us from the evil and the falseness in the world. And at this point, when he says that part of the prayer, protect us from the evil and falseness, the camera is fully on Ramiro laying down sleeping with his priest clothes next to him. So it seems like Anchor is on to something or at least the showrunners are trying to make sure that is clearly in our minds. And Anchor, his name himself, it's like a, you know, Anchor, A-N-K-E-R, suspiciously like the object Anchor that kind of keeps things... You know, you put the anchor down to stop and keep you on course and you keep keep one foot in reality. I think anchor is going to be the man. I, that's just a uh, just the man. A, the man being like he's going to have a, a more significant part in this because he's going to kind of be a, a center of some sort. Like right now. He leads his people in prayer. So obviously, you know, he has... Right, yeah. So he's already kind of an anchor to them. Yeah. He tethers them. Yeah. And, yeah, and if it was you, you would you would heather them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, the next... Pl- Ooh. Uh. <laughs> it would be pleather, you know it. <laughs> Let's see. Even in the darkness, we'll provide light. And when he's talking about the light, you see Angel there in his white clothes. And that just confirms my theory that I think, you know, Angel, despite anything else, is the better of the two, so to speak. If they're good and evil, Angel and Ramiro, I think Angel's the better guy in Ramiro. Anyway, that's just, I've already made that clear. (laughs) Did you have any thoughts before I go to the next scene with Daniel? Thoughts on what? Anything we've been talking about so far? No. <laughs> All right. Just giving you a chance. <laughs> Don't be sorry. This is going great. Okay. Yeah, this next scene, uh, Mara meets Daniel at her cabin door again. It seems they keep meeting outside the door. Like, maybe they're the Jim and Pam now of this. I don't know. <laughs> Daniel Solace. We found out what his name mm-hmm. is. And he's got those, those very kind eyes. This is what I think of Daniel Solace at this point. Solace, of course, I looked it up. It means comfort in times of distress. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like his name could be appropriate. And he does have those very kind eyes. And it seems like he like really like takes in emotion. But at the same time, he's really creepy and unsettling. 
So that's the vibe I get from him is that he's a kind, he, he means well with his kind eyes, but he just has a really off-putting vibe. Um, yeah, that's just, that's the impression I get from him so far. Can you tell me anything at this point? Probably not. Um, in regards to... Or what did you think of Daniel at this point, at this point episode two? I thought he was super sus. He was very suspicious. Oh, yeah. um, I didn't... I, I don't know if he's trustworthy. He seems like he's a little bit too eager to like get to know Mara. Yeah. And um, he takes a great interest in her, which is worrisome. <laughs> but you, you hope that he's a good guy. Well, I'm just going by his name, Solace. I yeah. Mean, that, that, that's a positive aspect. That is, exactly. So you hope Mara's not in trouble in, uh, you know, communicating, interacting with this Daniel. Daniel. They keep running into each other outside their doors. Oh, Daniel. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, so, well, I guess they're next door neighbors. But remember, that's bad design, though. Got to remember back in episode one, he broke into there with his little pet beetle. Yes. So, you know, he's he's a wet man, as oh, Nate calls him. <laughs> <laughs> he was a dripping wet nose last last time we saw him, but now he's, he's dry. Now. Thank goodness. Okay, we already talked about the boy, because this is the scene where, um, you know, they're at the doors talking, and she enters the room, and then Daniel and Zombie Boy catch eyes for a second there. So mm. Daniel's well aware of him. Actually, Daniel was trying to like get in the room at some point because he was like, I heard something in there. I'm going to try to get in. I think that was this scene, actually, mm-hmm. um, which is very weird. So um, Mara, at this point, wants answers, and she's kind of calmly asking him all the normal questions that she should be asking him. And in answer, he gets up and hands her the Black Pyramid. That's his answer to all of her questions. Mm-hmm. Like, where did you come from? What happened to the ship? As if, like, this pyramid is all of the answers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's pretty cut and dry. Um, I'm not going to try to theory craft with you right now because you know more than I do about pyramids. So but I'm going to take this opportunity. I oh, was go ahead, just going to say, do you think it's some kind of um, like talisman? <laughs> okay, we haven't gotten to any of the scenes with Ike yet, but right now I'm thinking that when Ike went into that crawl space under his bed earlier, that shoot that portal thing that where he climbed on the ladder and it turned into the black obsidian. We'll be getting there in, in about 30 minutes. But for right now, I'm just telling you my theory. I think they're inside of that pyramid um, because it's like the black obsidian and he climbs down there and there's like no walls for him to go to. Okay. And the boy has this black pyramid. I think that that's what they or he is actually inside either that exact same pyramid the boy is carrying around so carefully wrapped up in cloth or that pyramid we saw in episode one that was just kind of off in the shore by itself and I wasn't sure what it, if it was like an actual earth thing or if it was a fantasy thing it was a fantasy thing maybe they're there inside that pyramid oh. yeah we'll, we'll touch on that more when we get to Ike When we come back from break, we're going to break. We'll be back in just a moment, y'all. 
We're back from break. Did I interrupt you from saying something, Heather? I was just going to talk about how you mentioned that um, zombie boy and wet man locked eyes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously they both came from the Prometheus. So it's uh, leads you to wonder if they, of course, have crossed paths before, if they're in cahoots, if they're enemies. My guess is, is enemies. My guess is enemies at this point because I think it's um, Wet Man who I mean we know his name now Daniel yeah. <laughs> that locked Zombie Boy in the cabinet, and I mean that I'm still after watching episodes one and two again. I, I mean I still think that that's like the most sensible order of events that he called the ship to come to him, locked the boy in the cabinet, then swam over real quick. So then. If that's the case, then um, with a name like Solace, why would somebody like Solace do that to a boy? Because the boy is a wolf. He ate all the crew. He's evil, and Daniel like wants to protect everybody from him. He's at the door trying to shimmy in there um, with poor excuses. Um, I think the boy is bad, and Daniel's good. That's what I mean. That's the conclusion I have at this point. Um, yes, just based on what I've seen. That's what I think. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to move on to the next scene. Our, the, the girl we've been gushing about, the young Danish girl, for some reason she washes Crester. Would you want to be in charge of like washing Josh or Jeremy? Is that oh. weird? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love my brothers, but I thank God we were born when we were, and that was not a necessity in our household. It's. Why, um, why is it even a necessity? I would be fine. I'd be like, yeah, give me a bucket of water and a rag and some like, soap. I'm fine. I know. He, he does end up washing his own hair. <laughs> <laughs> Once Ada leaves. <laughs> well, I, um, hmm, I don't know. Maybe it's a punishment. <laughs> Go wash your brother's hair. It doesn't seem like it. It just seems like that's just what their family does. Um, they're just kind yeah. of like a close-knit family. Um, we're goofing on them, but yeah, they're, they're, they're old school, they're old fashioned and they, and she seems cool. She does reveal that she has aspirations to be a doctor. So Mm -hmm. maybe it was upon her own, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like she, she was the one that, yes, thank you, Volition, that, uh, that she wanted to watch as a caregiver. She obviously wanted to talk to him and he didn't want to talk to her. He um, shoved her off like, you know, she told him that he's no fun anymore. And he's like, yeah, go off and play with your doll or whatever it is you do. So I think she was just trying to, like, talk to him and just create some kind. Nobody else was talking to her, maybe. So she wanted to talk to somebody. Yeah, well, she was all hyped because Mara had just helped her sister, um, you know. And so she was all like, yeah. I'm going to be a doctor. Like, oh my gosh, I've like, this is what I'm going to do. And Her like, calling, that's, what, that's she was, what she said. Yeah, exactly. And then Cresser's all like, no, you got to build the church. <laughs> you got to help the family build the church. Oh yeah, that's right. Hey, nothing wrong and with then, that. No, nah, well, I mean. I guess if it cuts if you into have your a dreams. Calling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean. It <laughs> <laughs> is something wrong with that. Come on, Steve. Think, think. All right. <laughs> um, she leaves. And an angel approaches. It's our boy, Angel. He comes in with a gift. He's a real close talker, too. He comes in with a gift for Crestor. He gives him that um, cigarette case. And 
basically, you know, just telling him, you know, this is yours. He says thanks, but Tove comes in and she's pretty confrontational. And she doesn't like him, obviously. And she gives us a little piece of information here. She says that Crestor promised her something. She's like, don't forget what you promised me. Um, we don't know what that is, so I can't even guess, but just wanted to point that out. Um, Tove means beautiful Thor, like Thor, the god of thunder. And she's a pretty thunderous individual. Um, Indeed. Tove is also a character in, in Jabberwocky. If um, you, I'm sure you don't remember that from from school, <laughs> but um, it was a creature in that book, and it was a slithy, live creature. Jabberwocky. Um, I can't remember the author's name. Pause for a second, but you know the author. Absolutely, you know the author. That was something you had to read in school? Oh, it was Lewis Carroll. Um, I don't have to look it up anymore. It was Lewis Carroll, the same guy who wrote like Alice in Wonderland. Um, so Alice in Wonderland, we, that's our theme song here too. So maybe that's where the name Tobey comes from. I just figured it out. Mm. (laughs) Oh, but it also, um, there's some sort of mention that I wrote it down here on the side in the margins. I wrote child of God, question mark about her baby because I remember at some point somebody says something along the lines of like you know it's the I think it's like during a prayer and I can't even remember at which point of the show at this point it's just something I wrote in the margins <laughs> that um the the baby that she's carrying is like they somebody at some point calls it the child of god significant um yeah The end. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, next scene here, we got Ike and Gilligan. I don't know the guy, the red-haired guy with the beard's name. He was in Dark also, the actor. He's the first mate, and I keep calling him Gilligan because I don't know his name. But Ike and Gilligan are talking about the ships that were being sold to the company, and they were talking about financial troubles that the company is having. Here's where we're going to talk some, um, some company business. Um, Gilligan is saying, you know, it's really nice that they kept the crew cause they kept the German crew, which is really unusual when you sell a ship to keep half the crew. And that was some significance. Um, but Ike points out that there's, um, not that many passengers. They're only half full and they don't have any freight. So why is that? Why did this ship, why did this company who's like, you know, not doing well financially, send out a, a, a ship from one continent to another, from one huge country to another huge country with just a, a thousand passengers, like no freight. They could fill that place up. They could fill every room and put it full of European goods to send over to America, but it's there's nothing on it. So it seems like there's a, a specific reason for that because – you know, it's like if you're if you're mailing a bunch of stuff, you're going to mail it like in one lot. It might be cheaper that way. So if you're taking one ship across the ocean, you take as much stuff as you can, and they did not do so. Right, but you know, some revenue is better than none. Sure, but I think they had every opportunity to fill that ship up, and they did not. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, why not fill it up? <laughs> Yeah. 
anyway, like we know that the, that other ship is like forty five thousand tons. It's a perfectly seaworthy vessel. It's floating. So like, why sink it? And how? That's what one of the dudes says. How would you even do it? How would you do it, Heather? How would I sink a ship? I mean, you, anybody, what, what would, what would, if you were in charge of this crew and like your orders were to sink the ship and you were going to be like, okay, I will sink the ship. How would you go about doing so? Do I have cannons on my ship? I don't think so. Let me ask you that. I'm pretty sure no, they don't have no cannons, cannons on board. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a pirate ship. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Kerberos. <laughs> Well, if I don't have cannons... I mean, what, just go over there and, like, take an axe and, like, put a hole in the side, and then, like, after a couple of years, it'll... I don't know. Maybe burn it? Could you burn it? Ooh, I mean, is, That would be yeah, the most fun. You, yeah. <laughs> could you set it on fire? Or well, is no, it all would, steel? And yeah, it would, I don't know if that would sink it. I don't... Yeah, I don't know how steel burns in the ocean, so... It does not burn in the ocean. <laughs> it didn't. Just, eventually, you'd have to... I don't know. But I think Ike has the same questions. Like, I, that would just be way too much effort. I'm, <laughs> that's going above and beyond the job. I'm not on board. But this crew needs a leader, and he is floundering. He's just as perplexed as they are, and he's not giving them any, like, leadership qualities or, like, any kind of assurance that, you know, like a, cr- a crew leader, a manager, a, you know, a government or whatever is supposed to do. They're supposed to be, like, you know, a, at least... At the very least, they're supposed to be the the theater of um, confidence. Mm-hmm. He is not giving them that at all. Clearly, it's because he lost his coat. He <laughs> <laughs> <It> doesn't. <laughs> it's because he found the ribbon. We know the, the it's... reason. It's the ribbon at this point. But he is flipping out like nobody's business. Correct. The coat. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, if only he, he's just cold. Baby's cold. <laughs> Get baby a blankie. Get baby his coat. Come on. All right. Lucian, uh, at this point, makes his move on Ling Yi. He goes up to her, talking about how Japan is so fascinating. His eyes are like a glaze. He is... He's infatuated with Japan in general and, you know, and with Ling Yi. Yuck runs over real quick and calls Ling Yi away significantly in Cantonese. So she's, you know, dropping the facade and hopefully nobody picked up on that, but I picked up on that. I bet Virginia would be pretty mad. And guess who strolls on up? It's Virginia. She strolls up to Lucian after Ling Yi gets whisked away. She says that she speaks a little bit of French. But she has, like, a really long conversation with him here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she knows all these, like, descriptive words and knows how to do her verbs. And, man. Yeah, that's, that's not a more little. than a little. <laughs> but she that's, is. Yeah? Yeah, that's, like, advanced French. <laughs> She's a pimp. She's a fertility pimp. Those green scarabs, like I told you, uh, I didn't tell you, I told Nate, I told you Uh, listeners that I think that green beetle represents fertility and like the girl touched her belly and saw the green beetle. And then we see Virginia and she's always in that green dress and it kind of has that beetly shape on the bottom. Um, But yeah, she notices that Lucian's into Ling Yi and offers up some services and 
Lucian is a he he kind of he gets this big smile on his face. He's all into it, and I'm. Then he does the dickiest thing. He's like, even if I wasn't, even if I was desperate, I'm not that desperate. Like right to her face, and she's yeah, all taking I, it too. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, that is, like he went from zero to a hundred, uh, right there. And I mean, granted, she did mention that she had noticed that his honeymoon wasn't ideal, and oh. that alone was kind of a, a dicky thing to say. But yeah, like, I forgot about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I just thought it was interesting because, you know, I think she's attractive by any standards you would give. And he's like laughing at her like, <laughs> not in a million years, honey. Um, but that opportunity is there. We now know that she is a pimp, too. We cut quickly over to Jerome. After this scene with Lucian, it's interesting that Jerome is walking in the halls and he's got a letter in his hand. And it says, Lucian, room 2101. Um, they give us no indication of where um, Jerome got this letter from or why he's looking for Lucian, why he's going to room 2101. I mean, obviously, he goes and he drops off that, um, it looks like some sort of metal, some sort of uh, military metal that he drops off in the room there. Um, but somebody gave him that note, and maybe that's the reason he's on the ship altogether. I don't know at this point. But he drops off that Lucian, breaks into Lucian's room, and then Clements comes in. So he has to hide under the bed real quick. Uh, close call, Jerome. Anyway, <laughs> anything about that scene that I missed or that we should go into? No, you didn't miss anything. Okay. Nope. Uh, there's uh that scene is pretty mysterious yeah and yeah i'm glad he got i'm glad he got a chance to cut out of there too because that would have been really uncomfortable if <laughs> he was stuck in there for the entire night or something <laughs> yeah i will tell you one thing that i took from that scene was like i really liked clements's red boots oh okay yeah she took off mm-hmm. those were some those were cool boots I noticed as we're talking about details, here's an even more intense detail. It's like when she whisked across the room after she took her boots off, it was like really like ghostly the way like that um, scene, the way like her skirt was like wishing by and like. Right. Yeah. It was like dragging on the floor because she had taken off her heels. Yeah. But I mean, it was like ghostly. It was creepy. Clements is cool. I like Clements. Spooky, isn't it? Hmm. (laughs) Hey, um, at this point, uh, the crew is questioning the captain, um, like to themselves, like talking mutiny talk up there in the bridge. Uh, They're saying they should have replaced him. You don't recover from, they talk about the incident where his wife, unfortunately, like burned his house down with his kids inside. And they say that you don't recover from something like that. It haunts you forever. Hard to argue with that there, sauce boss. That's the guy who says that. Franz. Franz, there you go. Franz, Franz, a.k.a. Sauce Boss. He's Sauce Boss to me, y'all. So that's who he is. Very much so. (laughs) Okay, here is... Sauce Boss is much nicer. (laughs) We're getting into the scene now. So in my opinion, this is the scene. Um, Well, no, no, take that back. It ends with the scene, but this is a pretty close one. 
we get Eric in his cabin and he hears the song again and he's clearly losing it. Um, he sees Nina walk by in the hallway, not sure if it's a ghost or not. This is right after we saw Clements, like with her ghostly dress. Um, a creaky door opens up in the cabin somewhere and leads him to an old house. I paused it real quick and looked at that room number. It's right next door to Lucian's room. 2103 is the room number there. Um, I don't know if we have a geography of this boat yet, but it's interesting these things are happening next door to certain people. But he finds himself in his old house and everything is in kind of frozen place. His wife and kids are there and everything kind of comes to life at once. The fire lights up. His kids start doing their thing. Starts talking to Nina, and Nina is telling us and him that the dreams are back. Mother's dreams are back. Mother doesn't like it when you're away. Father, when you're gone, the shadows come, and (laughs) he's gone a lot. He's a boat guy. He's a long-haul trucker. Yeah, I uh, my coworker just got back from a cruise and found out that like the crew is out on the sea for like eight months like they don't go home for like eight months Jesus. like she was like they had like a captain's q a and like that she went to and like he lives in uh the uk but like he's he doesn't go home for eight months and then he's like home for four and then he goes back out dang wow I wonder if that's, yeah, so obviously it affects Ike's family life. I mean, he's gone a lot, too. I don't know how long he's gone, but... Probably longer. Well, maybe. He he goes to Europe and back. It sounds like it's about seven days there, seven days back, so let's say two weeks. So, yeah, even if he's gone for two weeks, he's probably back for, like, two days, and then he's gone for two weeks again, so he's just kind of not around. Uh, But he has a strong connection with Nina, obviously. It seems like um, he and his eldest daughter are bros. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, we get a big fire blast and now we're in a burn up house. But conveniently, we got a little green scarab scuttling around on the floor and he leads Ike over to the chimney, which turns out to be a ladder that leads him back up to his cabin and he's suddenly like under the bed. And I thought that was significant because we just saw Jerome under the bed. Now we're seeing Ike emerging from under his own bed in his cabin. You saw how he heaved the bed across in like those nice hardwood floors. And he was like... Oh my God. (laughs) I also noticed in that scene that like he was like one inch away from that back post falling into the abyss. (laughs) (laughs) it caught my eye every time i watched it like how close that bed almost fell into the ladder hole yeah but but yeah those floors they were immaculate and like the whole like all the red hardwood floor is off that's not how most cruise ships are they're like painted all white and bright and with mickey mouse everywhere um, uh, I are, think that's only Disney Cruise. <laughs> Maybe. Well, the Mickey Mouse part, <laughs> yes, obviously. There's a heavy trademark on Mickey Mouse. But yeah, I, you most can't just go putting just, that on any cruise. You're not going to find like a, a cruise ship that has like red hardwood floors and candlelit hallways and red dark carpets. And even like the uh, the decks out are like really 
dark and I don't know, just gives you the vibe. Well, do you mean now or in 1899? I would think in like when you see pictures of ships in 1899, they're white. They're like almost always painted like bright white naval ships and like, you know, Google it right now if you'd like. I mean, mean, you saw the Titanic, right? That was white. They had like all the nice hardwood and... I thought that was white as well. No. Like, the, like the deck was white. The surface that you walk on is white. Of course, the boat itself is going to be like black down below, like the part that's in the water and stuff. But no, uh, I, don't I don't know. Anyway, let's uh, move on from colors. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a freaky part that we just talked about. He's back in his cabin and yeah. he I just said, don't scratch the floors up because the floors are nice. <laughs> oh yeah, we get a scene next of um, Mora examining Zombie Boy. She's checking out his eyes with like the candlelight to check his pupils, see if he actually is a zombie. Maybe I think she suspects it too. <laughs> I think she's just looking for a concussion yeah. dilation. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, she's a smart doctor. So yeah, she's yeah. the smartest person on board, obviously. Um, so she tells a little story while she's examining him about a time that she was out bird hunting with her dad and her dad just left her in the middle of the woods while they were bird hunting on purpose and then like watched her all night just to see what she would do. And he did this exact same thing to Mara's older brother too. I guess her older brother is Henry, the name on the letter. I don't know his name actually at this point, but Pretty creepy story about like how her dad would do that and then just watch them just to see how they would do how they would react. And yeah, she was upset, not at the fact that he did that, but at the fact that when she thought that she was by herself in the woods, that in fact, her dad was watching the whole time. That fact pissed her off. That's what she tells zombie boy just now. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like she might be in an abusive household. (laughs) It's quite possible Um, (laughs) with those wrist scars. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that, you know, being mad about being watched as opposed to actually being left alone, that might have been a blessing to have been left. Right. Right. Yeah, she probably loved it and then enjoyed herself. And then, like, later on, was found out that it, nope, I wasn't left alone. I was still being abused. (laughs) Yeah. Visually abused. (laughs) And emotionally. I mean, who leaves their kid in the woods and then, like, just watches? (laughs) Well, her dad, obviously. Quiburn. Quiburn. I think Quiburn's her dad. Quiburn. As she's questioning the boy, you can see the boy kind of like, um, kind of visibly getting kind of upset for the first time. Yeah, it's like the first time we've seen emotion from him. Exactly. She finds his tattoo and then he like does the arm snatchy thing. He grabs her arm real quick and does the shh. And I don't know what he's telling her to be quiet from, but at that exact moment, Ike the asshole runs in (laughs) and like freaks out on the boy and like shaking him. The kid's freaking out. And luckily Mara's there to talk some sense into him. Um, Pretty intense scene. I think this is actually where Daniel sees the boy. Um, Oh no, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Scratch that. 
at this point, Daniel appears after the captain leaves and Daniel is talking to um, Mora here. And as Daniel approaches, we're hearing like these weird like beeping noises in the background. I really love the sound design, how like you can hear like this. It sounds like a smoke alarm going off way in the distance, this beeping sound. And it usually comes up when Daniel's around. And I remember when they were, the crew and the priest was like rowing from ship to ship to go check the Prometheus. As they were rowing, that's the first time I heard that beeping sound was as they were rowing. So Daniel, wet man, was probably swimming past them at that time. And that beeping sound was like a a visual cue to let us know that he was there. Are you talking about like those warbles? No, I'm talking about like a uh, distinct like. I'll I'll play it for you like the um when we go back in there, but it's very uh, audible. It nope, I'm not gonna do it again. <laughs> you heard it once. That's all you get. <laughs> um, when Daniel and her are talking, he this is really weird to me. He says to her, um, Mara, interesting name. It's an Irish name. But you don't look Irish. Yeah, she does. She's like the epitome. Yeah. She's the epitome of Irish, right? Indeed. <laughs> so what is he talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. But she goes along with it. But, she's like, yeah, I know. I'm not. Whatever. Yeah. So what are you then? Not Irish? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. it's like he was prying for other information. Yeah. And she straight shut that shit down. She was like... No, I'm not. Then shut the door. And I mean, that who can blame her? I obviously don't blame her. I know, but what would lead him to think that she wasn't? Exactly. Yeah. He knows more about her, or there's something about nationalities that we don't know, perhaps. But she looks pretty Irish. I think that was like, there's no wasted words in this show. I don't think they just throw away lines. I think everything kind of means something. So that's why that stuck out at me. That is an interesting take. So next take, we get, um, <laughs> we see a shot of Clements and Jerome, and we see them from outside the boat, and they're in two distinct separate squares, like in their own little quadrants. Um, they're talking to each other, though, um, talking about judging by looks. Hey, you were talking about that earlier, judging I'm people by their looks. I'm going to stop you real quick and ask you something. Sure. Do you remember um, what Lucian said as he approached Ling Yi in the same spot? Um, I'm talking about how beautiful Japan is and how he wants to go visit Japan. What was his? Uh, what's the first thing he said to Ling, Ling Yi? Um, he said, "Spooky, isn't it?" Oh, the, uh, uh, about the ship across the way. Because they were all looking at the ship, and then when Jerome approached Clements. Uh-huh. He first thing he said to her was spooky, isn't it? Oh. Awesome. I didn't notice that. <laughs> check, check. Yep, yep. All right, they're having the same conversation. Jerome even goes deeper. He's all like, you know, she's talking about how like hey, working on this ship's gotta be like a prison. He wistfully looks up and is all like, you know, even that bird up there is in its own prison of its own, you know. Hey baby, we're all in our own prisons here. We all just kind of make do, baby. It's a pretty smooth move. I mean, they're just they're talking for the first time, and they're going pretty deep. Yeah. 
she yeah. moves over to his square. Like she makes the move to like come into his quadrant. That's something that I definitely noticed. Like she mm-hmm. made the move to come to him. Um, but yeah, they and should. Then, and then he walks away for whatever reason. They break the conversation first, weirdly. First she asks him. Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Don't I know you from somewhere? Right. Or That's what started the conversation, before? that he looked familiar. And then they were talking about. Didn't Mara ask Daniel? Yes. You look familiar to me as well. Yes. Huh. It's like everybody's already kind of familiar with everybody else. And maybe that's why, um, uh, what's his name? Lucian was so comfortable just going up to Ling Yi and starting a conversation with her too. Uh, maybe, she, and he kept looking at her too. So maybe like in his brain, he's like, I've seen this woman before. Uh, maybe not as a geisha, but I think I've seen her before, you know, cause she's got that costume on. So it kind of makes it hard to see her features, but maybe he's thinking that. Um, Oh, yeah, but the thing that they, they were talking about judging each other and, you know, Jerome makes it clear that, he yeah, I judged you when I first saw you. I already made my mind up about you. Um, so they're going to they're going to talk again later. They're going to they're going to be talking later, I think. <laughs> Maybe not, though, because holy shit, the crew is after Jerome. They noticed that a crew like uniform was missing. They make a point about that. And they try to, to grab him, but he, he is a fighter. He takes on oh these five gosh, guys. Yes. And these there was a good choreographed fight too. I believe I, e- I believed thing. every swing. And yes, yeah, fight's good. And they say, Do you know what we do with stowaways? They don't answer the question. Do you know what they do with stowaways, Heather? Uh punch him in the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, after that, after they do the punch it in the face part. What do they officially do with stowaways after that? Make them walk the plank. Oh, this is not a pirate ship. This is a a, a cruise ship. No cannons. (laughs) No cannons. (laughs) So what do you logically think is going to happen to a stowaway? It's going to go to the prison. The The brig. the yeah, brig. like a closet. The brig. Oh, they, that's what it's called. They throw them in the brig, and then when they get back to the where they came from, not to where they're going, but when they get back to where they came from, then he'll go face a judge. Probably at this point in time would have to pay, it was like a thousand, whatever their currency was. Either pay a thousand currency or five years in prison. So that's the penalty for, at that time, of 1899 for stowaways. I had to look that up too because I was oh curious. Oh my gosh. What do they do with stowaways? They arrest them. <laughs> Excellent research, Stephen. Woo. Um, <laughs> okay, we get a shot of Ramiro waking up real quick. I don't know why they did that. And then we cut immediately to Crester and he's looking at the cigarette case with all the Danish below and... Tovey takes it because she comes up to ask him, inquire about their younger sister. Like they haven't seen her for a couple hours. She notices that, that cigarette case. And she's like, rich people can't be trusted. Crester, you of all people should know that again, she's dropping Mm -hmm. a clue for us that we don't know what it means, but apparently Crester has a history where he promised her something and that he should know that rich people can't be trusted because they want something in return. 
Uh, a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But so um, she snatches up. But she doesn't snatch it up. He willingly, reluctantly gives her the cigarette case. So we cut back. We're going to see her in a second because we cut to Ramiro and Angel. Angel's also looking over the board, looking over C. And Ramiro does this real weird, like, timid approach to him. When he sees the ship, though, he doesn't say spooky, isn't it? He says it wasn't a dream. So he was hoping the whole thing was just a dream where he went over to the other side. And he's like, that boy was terrifying. Um, They're, you know, I'm scared they're going to call the police on us, Angel. Angel, they're going to call the cops. Angel's like, don't worry about it. You're nobody's paying attention to you. Yeah, that's very accurate. In a situation yes. like this, like if if you are doing something suspicious, like it's good to have like a massive diversion. <laughs> like a, like so, a, a like lost a ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like nobody's worried about you, Ramiro. Calm down. Yeah, he can't calm down. Well, he kind of <laughs> gets really judgy here. This is where um Kove comes up. Tove, I'm sorry. Tove. And she is pissed, and she tells Angel that she's going to cut his member off and stay away, and she is just, like, straight up. She is a Thor. Remember I told you, beautiful Thor. That's what Tove is. She's beautiful Thor. Yeah. Um, Romero is, like, giving Angel these real judgy eyes. He's, like, looking at him, like, all smugly and crappy, and Angel's not taking it. He's like, don't look at me like that. Like Angel says, he's, I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. So shots fired. Angel Mm. lives out loud, baby. So I don't know. Ramiro leaves the situation kind of pissed. We know why. He's jealous of Angel. Come on now. Got to take another break, Heather. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, please. Why is he jealous of Angel? Oh, he's not jealous of Angel. He's jealous of whatever situation Angel has just got himself into with the cigarette case and the pissed off woman coming saying, keep your hands off my brother. So, you know, Ramiro's like, I would think that we know now, since we've all seen this episode, that they're about to get it on later. So I think that Ramiro is probably, I don't think that's the first time that's happened. And gotcha. Ramiro's like, here you go, hook up up with some other dude. What's up? So yeah, I'm going to go take a break. Me too. All right, we'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> okay, we're back from our, for our third act, and this is going to be our last break. At this point, this is where stuff is really starting to happen. Captain goes back down. We didn't talk about the pyramid shape on top of that trap door. But it's got the same pyramid that's everywhere else. The it was si- there. The symbol for like, it's either air or for fire. He takes a trip down and now it's not like an old fireplace anymore. It's now like that really nice black obsidian. And like I said before, I think this is where um, I theorize that they're inside the, the pyramid. Either that big black pyramid or, I, I don't know, the little boy's pyramid and their little ant's. And he's eating wolves. I don't know. That sounds so silly. But at any rate, he goes down. There's nowhere for him to go. When he goes down there, he goes to where the fireplace was, but it's just a solid wall. He puts his hand up on it, and I thought his hand was going to pass through the wall. And it did not. I was disappointed. No. But he gets distracted by Olick. He hears knocking on the door upstairs, and Olick's there with the coal count. 
they don't have enough to go to America, but they do have enough to tow the ship back to Europe. Um, interesting. <laughs> I know. I wonder if like the lag on on uh, you know dragging a ship would consume more coal. They would. That's why they wouldn't have enough to get to America right. while they were towing it. That's absolutely right. Um, I can understand his all of his questions and his freaking out and wanting answers. I see no reason for him to tow this ship. I say they should just, you know, mark the location. They have the coordinates. Go to America, get those passengers off, and then company business. Get some get get the work done. I, they want him to sink the ship. I wouldn't sink it. I would just simply leave it there. It's fine. It's not going anywhere. But there's something about that ship, man. <laughs> All right, Ike. <laughs> there's something about that ship. <laughs> All right. Um, next scene is Mara and the boy, and she's talking about the symbols. She's noticing these symbols and how the the neck and the letter have the same symbol on them. And this is when the porter comes and he calls everybody to a meeting. And I like what he says here. He's like... Uh, when you have a German running a shit show like this, they never tell us anything. Um, so that, that was mean about Ike, but because I like Ike, obviously, but it was funny. Um, everybody's going one direction, but our boy Angel is going against the tide. Um, they significantly show how he's going the other direction that everybody else is going in. Mm-hmm. Um, goes into his room. They're having some real brother talk. Um, the mood is spoiled. Uh, <laughs> we learn in this scene that Angel just straight up says it. You know, you're not a priest. You're not my brother. You think anybody's fooled by that? I do. Again. I was. With the, uh, <laughs> again with the close talking. Oh, my God. Yeah, he does that, too. <laughs> he, do, he does a real, like, Tom Cruise move, like, where he moves in and, like, does the ear thing. The ear thing. <laughs> the ear whisper talk. But, uh, but he he was saying, like, you didn't fool anybody that we were brothers. Or you were, I mean, they pretty much fooled us. I, I'd seen, I saw no reason to believe they weren't brothers. It didn't, it, it did fool me. I think they did a good job. Yeah. I didn't know what Angel was talking about in that moment because why couldn't they pass as brothers? It's, I, th- I think the showrunners did that just to put anybody's heads that were thinking that on the kibosh, just saying, yeah, this is the truth about these guys. Now think about some more deeper things. Mm. Um, that's what I think. That's where I think they were going with that. But we re- we reveal that Ramiro is actually just a Portuguese servant. Perhaps Angel has like a a, a lower class fetish kind of thing. It seems apparent at this point. Um, but yeah, Angel again points out. You know, everybody's so wrapped up in themselves. They don't care about us. Um, that's true now. Like people do the exact same thing where they, they feel like, you know, myself, I can feel like I'm the center of the world and everything revolves around me, but I'm just another person here and everybody else is going through the exact same thing. So like Ramiro, chill. It's, it's no biggie. Yeah. We're all in our own worlds. We're not really looking into like a bunch of strangers lives trying to figure out mysteries. Well, you are. You are. <laughs> Just for the show. It's like, it's, it's, it's a good time to do it. I'm not like going to my coworkers trying to like, ooh, what are they up to? 
That's exactly what like Ramiro thinks is happening. Yeah, that like uh, yeah, uh, he he's having some paranoia. Well, they say that what you're anxious about or like what you project on other people is actually what you feel about yourself. So, you know, he's got a lot of internal stuff going on, but he's throwing it back at Angel. He's like, your mom is right. She says that your mom says that you use people. And I agree with your me and your mother don't like the way you use people, Angel. Um, That's when he does the Tom Cruise lean in and they start making out. And Angel is like a beast. He's got all those like scratches on his back and stuff. I don't know if he likes uh, Ramiro yeah. to scratch him up like that or if he's been beaten or something. Like he comes from an abused place. But they pan up to that picture of the wolf and the sheep. And again with the wolf equals the boy. And then we have that sheep right there in that painting. And we heard... I think it was Virginia or Mara was talking about how everybody, you know, was just sheep on board of the ship. Like she was just comparing them to sheep. And there we have like some visual proof um, pans right up there. But like if, that's only after I started thinking about it. My first impression was like when they started doing that and then they panned up to that picture and I saw that beast. It looked like a beast. Actually, I was like, yeah, angels that that's angel, man. He's going to town. He's a beast. <laughs> <The> beast. <laughs> I think he's, I don't know. We're moving on from them right now because, yes? I was just going to say, yes, the the visuals are are there. (laughs) They certainly are. That's not what I meant to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very, uh, like, literal. The visuals are very literal in the... They are. And like James was saying, he's... His point was that, you know, they're showing us these things, but they're just going to tell us what it is next episode. And some of these things they are, but I think they they bring up way more questions than they're answering. They're just answering these surface level episode one and two questions right now. You know, Um, I I know we're going to get to some crazier stuff like right now, Daniel. uh, (laughs) We were talking about Daniel Salas. He has that little pet scarab. And I decided to call him Scrappy. That's little Scrappy. He has Scrappy in his pocket, <laughs> and he lets Scrappy down. And I noticed the—is this the r- debut of a name? <laughs> yes, <laughs> little Scrappy. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of heavy lifting in this episode. Um, there's that pyramid rug with that pyramid pattern. This is the first time I noticed that the rug in the hallway has pyramids on it. Was that the first time that you noticed it, or was that just the first time I noticed it? I mean, you in general was as an audience. Was that the first time that we noticed that the that the pyramid was on the rug? Um, no. Okay, was it episode one or episode two? I guess I need to wa- go back and watch again. Wait, what episode are we talking about? Two. We're talking about two. <laughs> <Yeah>. Scrappy. <laughs> He's getting ready to go find. Um, it's in one of the previous. It's either before they actually like zoom in on the carpet and. Mm-hmm. Revealed the pyramid. It does appear previously, but they do not like draw your focus to it. Yeah, they really draw your focus to it here. This time they really draw your focus to it, but it is like having gone back and rewatched it, you do see it. Yep. Okay, I want to go back and rewatch it again and see. Just look for the, I'm just look for rug patterns. Don't pay attention to me for these next 50 minutes. I'm just looking for rug patterns. Yeah, just keep looking down. <laughs> um, Scrappy goes off and he finds our little girl, the girl everybody's been looking for. Um, 
and also Daniel. And Daniel has that solacy look on his face, and he tells her that he's so sorry. If you're so sorry, then why did you do whatever you did, Daniel Solace? Right? Yeah, he's, I know. He <laughs> but anyway. does not seem to be bringing solace to Ada well, or Zombie Boy. I don't know. He seemed like he was honestly remorseful with that apology. But we cut away. We heard a noise again with that sound. We hear a little um, ghost, not a ghostly sound, but we hear not a beeping sound, but we hear like a metal kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of metallic click. I'm like really, I'm hearing. a really audible person. That's like, yeah, you are. I think That's you need. True. I think we need to turn the the volume up louder on our stereo when we watch TV. I guess maybe. Wait, you watch with your earbuds a lot of time, right? I do, and I will say to listeners, like that is like watching this show on your phone with earbuds is the way to go. Yeah, because um, like I when I first watch this show, I probably watch like the first two episodes on our TV, like in the living room. And I don't know if like <laughs> I need better contacts or what, but like I had a really hard time like reading. All... But when you have your phone like up in front of your face, like you're not missing the scene and you're catching all the words and you have the audio through your earbuds. So that was my preferred Watching this on your phone is actually preferable to, uh, like, TV in your living room. Granted, our TV is very, very small. It is not a big screen, yeah. and it is very far away from where I like to lay down in the living room. So it's a, it's a long distance <laughs> to look at the TV um, versus the phone that I have propped on a pillow while I lay down. <laughs> but you miss those little beepy sounds and you miss the little metallic sound here. And there's all I kinds of noise. I don't know that I've cues. missed them or that they just didn't register because like you said, like you are a much more audio aud- auditory person than I am. Mm. They're probably, I mean, they're there. I just didn't think of them or, yeah. you know, Register them. Well, next announcement. Everybody registered this. The captain <laughs> gives this announcement. He's not wearing a jacket, first off. So how dare he address everyone with no jacket? Um, he makes the announcement. Nobody's happy that they're turning the ship around to Europe, towing the Prometheus. This causes an uproar. And I like Virginia. She says... You know, there's 1,612 people on board, passengers and crew. There's 1,611 against this. <laughs> I was thinking to yeah, myself. Yeah, but that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say it's 1,616 in all against this because it's the, the whole. Okay, Ike, it's the, everybody on board, all 1,611 of them, plus me, that's 12 plus Heather, plus Nate, plus Nate's roommates. So that's 1,000. Mm-hmm. Jerome. No, he's part of the crew. Oh, yes, Jerome, <laughs> 1,617. <laughs> so there's even more than you thought. But the captain is doing this I'm the captain now thing. Okay, wait, I have another thing to say. That is a quite audacious of her to assume that every single person was... Against it. All the people that we have seen 
that have been highlighted in the show, yes. But surely, of all of those people, there had to have been some that were just like, oh well. She read the room. Back. She read the room first off. And the room was she definitely the pissed. Room. She read the people that were standing exactly right in front of the captain. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Virginia. She is the one who yeah. picks up all the gossip and she has everybody pegged. So she knows the, the mood of the boat. So I believe, that, Virgi- like that I said, is a good point. I'm a Virginia yeah. fan. I, so far, I am. I'm a Virginia boy. I keep saying it. Shout out to Virginia. <laughs> Did you see in this that Daniel like was doing that creepy up to uh, Tamara like during the scene when everybody's all pissed off? Daniel like is eyeballing Mora and like saddles up next to her. And, you know, Mora runs off to talk to the captain, of course, but I was like, yeah, yeah I did notice dude. how, like, after he, like, made his announcement and hastily departed <laughs> from the room, like, no questions, please, goodbye. Yeah. And then Mara was, like, the only one that followed him. Yeah. She was like, I run this ship, too, so I'm just going to go out and talk. She's the smartest person on the ship, no doubt, but... She yeah, why this, didn't everybody else like chase him out? Yeah, his first mate. She was like, "Oh no, he, she's the only one that can come question me about this decision. <laughs> everybody else, stay here and talk amongst amongst yourselves." Well, this is a TV show, and this is completely appropriate because it turns out, and they talk to each other about this. They have the same letter, the same font, same handwriting. Who sent these letters? And oh, that's right. She says, "Who is Henry?" Um, and Ike points out they both, or maybe I'm pointing out, they both lost someone. Um, they're stuck while they're, the people that they have lost can move on is what he says, but they're mm-hmm. stuck while they can move on. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of, it's either one of three things, um, insanity, dreams, or death. I think that's the, going to be like the thing that is overshadowing everything here, either, yeah, one of those three. But it, Ike says here, you know, he honestly, is, you could make a, a Venn diagram out of those three things <laughs> yeah. and rearrange any of them in any any position, and they would still like a triangle inter, interlock. Yeah, insanity, dreams, or death. Yep. Um, Morris says, you know, they can't go back. Everybody says they can't go back, but Ike insists on it against everyone's will that they go back. So he's a, even though he's nuts, he's pretty determined here. Oh, Daniel confines to Mara that, you know, the captain's wrong about this. People won't sit still for this and they won't let it happen. I'm smelling mutiny too. It's pretty apparent, but they're indeed towing the ship against the company's orders. Specifically, um, sauce boss is like, let's just sink the ship. And Gilligan, it's the first mate who's supposed to have the captain's back, is like, perhaps we should. Yeah, maybe. That kind of Yeah, takes- I'd like to know how they'd go about doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because they were the one pondering <laughs> it in the first place. Well, you're following orders and whatnot. But yeah, Sauce Boss kind of wanders off, maybe to take a leak, but it's obvious he finds something. Um, he gets a look on his face. Uh, captain's back in his quarters, looking at a little family portrait there. And the show was kind enough to feature 
Our song, our podcast made its way into 1899. They start playing Sweet Child of Time. I'm like, heck yes, man. They go into some deep purple here. It's fabulous. I cannot tell you, like, when I watched this episode without you the very first time, I was like, oh, hell yes. I cannot wait for Steve to watch episode two. Like, I was so excited to sit down and watch episode two with you for this moment. And you were looking at me during this too, like I did. like expectantly, like I was. This is it. <laughs> I was so excited for you. This is the fruition of it all. It was destiny. Like this boat is weird. Why did that happen? Why did they say the name of my podcast in their show? Where do yeah, I it, fit in here? It means something. <laughs> well, let's go through the order of things. What happens here? And they start playing this awesome song. Um, first, the telegraph starts spitting out some pyramids, some triangles. Interesting. Hmm. Um, Mara is playing with her necklace. Another pyramid right there. Eyeball on the boy. Um, Daniel is looking at a picture of Mara. Daniel Salas has got like a nice little photograph of Mara in his pocket there that he's looking at. A little cameo. Then we see, unfortunately... Our, our favorite young Nate will probably be happy. He'll be beside himself, like woohoo! That little creepy girl is dead. But I'm like, no, that little girl, please. I like her. She and I even asked you. I was like, you can go ahead and give me this spoiler. She doesn't look dead to me. Her eyes are like looking straight ahead. She doesn't look dead, but she's probably dead, right? And you were like, yes, she's dead. So she, she is deceased. Yeah, you asked me. I told you that it was probably just because she's it, it, like young and doesn't have a lot of acting experience. So it's <laughs> she didn't know how to actually act dead. So she actually focused on a point. You yeah. thought her eyes look focused. Right. But no, they should not have been focused eyes. She's she was de deceased. Yep. Um Oh yes. Child in Time. I think that the reason that they're playing this song, the song is actually called Child in Time by Deep Purple. You know, my theme song is Sweet Child, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, completely different band. But it's just fun that Deep Purple says that. The song's called Child in Time. And the song, I had to talk to um, my buddy Sam Collarin about this because I'm familiar, we're from, very familiar with this song. We've been knowing it and loving it since we were teenagers. And I've always understood this song to, to be about somebody being shot because that's what it's a pretty simple song. There's not a whole lot to the lyrics. It's more of a, a musical song, but it, it talks about somebody being shot. And I was asking Sam, is there any more to that song than just like somebody being shot? He says, well, they talk about um, how somebody's getting hit by the ricochet. So, you know, perhaps it's about like unintended consequences. He's never seen 1899, but I feel that the child in time is um, this little girl that unintended consequences, like maybe she was not supposed to be on board and she was hit by the ricochet, as they say in the song, um, as an unintended consequence of whatever is happening on board. I'm not sure. Um, but Daniel's involved, that's for sure. And you want to hear my theory at this point? 
I love all of your theories so much because that's like really, really deep to like think that this deep purple song talking about ricochets is somehow ties in to I it, I mean it's interesting that Sam said yeah. without being prompted that he think the song, the theme of the song is unintended consequences. Unintended consequences. And the fact that you would link those two together <laughs> well, is like, well, you are just like your theories, like, like we said before. Like, well, you, you haven't you heard just, it yet. Here it is. She wants to be a doctor. She has this calling. We know that she's really a clear headed person. We know there's something off because when she touched Mora, that's what set Mora off onto an anxiety attack, a panic attack. It was that touch. I think touch is going to be very significant here. That boy grabbed Mora's arm um, significantly. Mm-hmm. And I think she's unintended. She's not supposed to be there. Daniel is like, I'm so sorry. I have to get rid of you. You're not supposed to be here because you are Mara when Mara was eight years old. You are Mara. You're not supposed to be here, though. You're like a different Mara from a different time zone. But in another time zone, you, little girl, will grow up and become a doctor. And you're not Irish and you're Danish and... I don't know her name. I don't think her name is ever said. Maybe her name is Maura. Huh? Ada. Oh, dang it. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> still. <laughs> it's a fun ADA. theory that, that that's actually like a little girl Maura, and that's what happens. That's kind of what I'm thinking in my head. But all that aside, I'm completely putting aside the fact that we see these TV screens. We're looking at the captain looking at the little girl, everybody's in shell shock, and then everybody is on TV screens on a wall in this, like, 1970s-looking room. Looks like it could be, like, a cabin because of those hardwood floors again, but everything has a distinctive, like, 1970 feel to it. So does Deep Purple, honestly, obviously. There's, like, Yeah, it definitely gave me, like, lost vibes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I've been thinking that like, this whole time, but I haven't heard anybody compare it to Lost. <laughs> so, yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had not said that out loud to each other, so that was organic. Yeah, that is very true, yeah. We have not... Uh, but yeah, when, when you see it, it's like the Swan Project all over again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't help but notice and write down the arrangement of those screens. we got the captain in the middle, and then up top, we've got... Lucian and the first mate, the guy who I'm calling Gilligan. Why is Lucian and Gilligan? Maybe it's just the arrangement of these screens, but they got Lucian and Gilligan together. Over on the right-hand side, we have the zombie boy in Virginia. On the bottom, we've got our... We think these two are going to hook up. Jerome and Clements are at the bottom. And then over on the left side, we've got Mara and Daniel Salas over there. Of course, they seem like they're connected. I don't know if those arrangements mean anything, but I just thought I'd note, you know, who was next to who. Wait, who was on the top? Lucian. Lucian and... Uh, Gilligan, the guy I've been calling Gilligan, the redheaded guy. Mm. First mate. Not Franz, but he has another name that I don't know yet because he's Gilligan. (laughs) 
So at this point, we know that um, there's seven people who are obviously and have been revealed at this point not to be themselves. Angel and Ramiro, um, Crestor, their Crestor's keeping some kind of secret. Um, Mara is, because she keeps saying in the mirror, she's reminded herself that in that first episode what her name is. So I kind of put her on that list of not quite being herself. Ling Yi is being somebody she's not, and so is her friend Yuck, or not friend. I don't know what their mentor relationship, perhaps. Not mother and daughter, right? We don't Mm -hmm. know at this point. You don't know at this point. Okay. And Jerome. Jerome's not supposed to be there, and he's not himself either, and we don't know who he is. Delivery boy of a a golden star of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's it. We did it. We wrapped it up and we're going to get ready to watch episode three now. And we'll be podcasting about that later. Um, I don't know. You've already seen everything. So I know you're not looking forward. I cannot wait for you to see episode three. I'm so excited for you to see episode three. (laughs) So before we get to plugs, I wanted to do one more thing real quick here. Can you hear that at all, Heather? Yeah, I can. It sounds like law and order. Sweet child of 1899. That's silly. There's an organ behind me. Heather, thank you very much for doing this with me. Did you have any um, final thoughts? Nope. Nope. So where can people find you if they want to if they want to get in touch with you, Heather? I told them before that you were the singer for Rebecca Crow. So I know they can find you on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube Music and all that kind of stuff. But where's your Uh, you told me that people can find me (laughs) at Rebecca Crow on wait on Instagram at Rebecca Crow 106.1 FM. And that is a uh, that is a tribute to Richmond's former Buzz 106.1 radio station, mm-hmm. where I pretty much cover everything that they ever played. <laughs> and we do that right here in Fowl Orchard Studios. Um, I appreciate you doing that with me. I love it. What are we working on right now? I mean, what are, I mean excuse me. What are you guys working on right now? I'm the interviewer. Oh, you guys? Yeah. To include you as well? <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what are you and Steve up to these days? Are you anything, anything new in the hopper? Uh, I just laid down some vocals for a Pack AD song called Oh Be Joyful. Mm-hmm. And Steve is trying his best to uh, put down the guitar. <laughs> I don't I think we did it. I can't put the guitar down. No, I think what we have to do is we have to do the, do the, we did the opposite. We did vocals first and now we're trying to put drums and guitar to vocals. Yeah, (laughs) that's not, I I told you that, that probably, that I would probably need to do it the other way around. But your takes are so good though. Like the takes you did are so good. Then I can do them again. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we're going to take it home. Um, you can find me at intro.void and please check out um, us on Instagram too, Sweet Child of Time Pod. And you can email us at sweetchildofpod 
Sweet Child of Time Pod <laughs> at gmail.com. If you can figure it out, you can email us. And I want to shout out a few people who have emailed in. I'm very, I mean, most people get in touch with me through Instagram or through the Facebook group, but a few people have written in that would be Dallin, Marco, Corey, and last but not least, Lindsay. And I wanted to read Lindsay's letter before we get off here. She's Lindsay Dunn, and she says. Mm-hmm. She enjoyed the recap. She's also doing 1899 recaps. So technically we are nemeses, but I won't hold it against you. Anyway, she says that we had mentioned the arrangement of White Rabbit by Ben Frost and Elliot Sumner. Ben Frost did all the original music for Dark. So he's a pretty important dude. I'm reading in her voice and her voice being Lindsay Dunn. Um, Elliot is the child of Sting. I really enjoy film and TV scores, and I'm pretty sure the structure of the song could be a clue towards the show's plot. The regular arrangement by Jefferson Airplane, you know, the boomer version, um, has four verses and one course. Wait, did she actually say the boomer version? No, that was me. Oh, okay. (laughs) That was me interjecting my um, commentary. Back to Lindsay. This new arrangement for the show only includes verses one and four, and some of the musical progressions are backwards from the original song. So there is skipping plus the reversal. I'm hoping it will be just another clue. It's intriguing to me because if you have seen Tenant, um, I have not. The score does similar things. There is a score that is forwards and a score that is backwards, and they mirror each other in that show, which copies their timeline, score inversion. Um, So this show is obviously dropping audio clues, and Lindsay is telling us that there's a clue in the opening song itself. So, dang, I appreciate you writing in, and I have to shout her out too because she, let's see, she has her own YouTube and she's doing 1899 recaps, which we should all, we should all check out. I'm going to put her link in the show notes. Um, she has a site called one of my stories and I've read a couple of her recaps that she's written and there, she has a recap of, uh, episode one and two. And I read through the, ep- the recap of episode one that she wrote. Fantastic stuff. I didn't read through episode two for obvious reasons, but she's putting her stuff on YouTube We can get a link there. It's called One of My Stories, and she's also a contributor to Elements of Madness. Um, She's a film critic. Um, So thanks for writing in. I really appreciate it. Got a new friend here and a new link for you guys to check out. So yeah, don't just check out my recap. Check out other 1899 recaps. There's lots of them out there. Um, I think that's all we got for Sweet Child of Time and Sweet Child of 1899. So Heather... Thank you very much for joining me today, and I hope you always find water and shade. I hope you also always find water and shade. Oh, thank you so much. That's sweet. Thank you. (laughs) Well, anyway. If you find water and shade, I'll be there with you (laughs) to have it, too. (laughs) We will share our water and shade together, and you, listener, find it as well. Bye, y'all. Bye. What would creep you out if you were like in the forest and well, you woke up in the middle of the night? What what music would creep you out? Oh, I, I don't know. What music would creep me out? Like if you heard it and you were like, oh my God, I'm about something bad is about to happen or this is strange. 
Hmm. Yeah. Maybe like circus music. I was thinking like circus or calliope music would um would be the yeah. creepiest. Oh, calliope. Just especially if it was like kind of off key. And it would like felt, and it sounded like it was like on like a, one of those little boxes that you wind up, and, and it's all cranky. A squeeze box? <laughs> no, a squeeze box is more like an accordion, right? Isn't that slang for an accordion? That would be scary to hear Absolutely. in the dark woods. <laughs> <laughs>